I'm going to ask Don Smith to come and read uh, Romans chapter 12. So we are looking at a few different passages today, but Romans 12, he'll begin reading in verse 1, read to verse 8. If you have a copy of God's word, if you could take that. So Romans 12, starting in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Assuming you're a Christian, I know not every single person in the room would identify as a Christian, and, and I'm grateful for those that, that would and wouldn't. I'm glad you're here. But if you are a Christian, Someone comes up to you and says, are there some places in the Bible, some verses, some sentences, some words that really are at the core? They speak to you. They have shaped your life. They formed what you believe, how you see the world, how you live your life. I would imagine all of us may have some different verses that, I mean, we love all the Bible, but some would like just rise to the top of the influence and impact they've had on our lives. I certainly have a few, and what I decided for the last few Sundays that I'm here, I decided to share a few of those with you. I want to take some time. And so last week we looked at Ephesians 2, which I think sets us up perfectly to hear from the verses that Don just read. Because if Ephesians 2 is about anything, it is about God's mercy to us. Ephesians 2, 4 says that God is rich in mercy. Ephesians 2, 8 talks about the grace of God, the favor of God that we did not deserve. So much so that God's grace is a gift to us. We can't earn it. We didn't work for it. It's a gift to us. So that's the theme of Ephesians 2. And, and so I mention that because if you have your Bible still open, like you see Romans 12.1 starts, therefore, in light of the mercies of God, by the mercies of God, Paul has some things to push us towards. So when you come to like, when you think of the mercies of God and the book of Romans, especially Romans 1 to 11, in my mind, trying to figure out, okay, where does it talk about God's mercies? What mercies of God do we see in Romans 1 to 11, leading us up to that say, in light of all these mercies that I've just talked about, well, it's almost like our, our Thanksgiving table where there's just hardly any room, right? That's what I, Romans 1, and 11, 1 through 11 is on the idea of mercies of God. 
There's just so many. It's like the table is so spread. Like there is no room to think of anything else other than the mercies of God. We could, we could detail those. We could be here a long time detailing all the mercies of God in chapter one, chapter two, chapter, I mean, we could go on and on. But I had to mention a few of them. So Romans 5, 8 is one of my favorite verses in scripture that talk about the mercies of God, the mercies of God, particularly that while we were still sinners, God loved us in this way. Christ died for us. So we didn't deserve that. It was just mercy that God gave to us. We didn't deserve the bloody death of Jesus on the cross for our sin. But it was mercy that gave us that. Another one of my mer- favorite mercies in Romans would be Romans ten thirteen that says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, will be rescued, will be delivered. How different that could be. I mean, if we're just strictly talking about what we deserve because we are sinners, it would be pronouncements of judgment would come on us. But instead, we receive mercy and we're rescued. I guess one of my favorite mercies in Romans would be in Romans 8.28, that those who are called according to God's purposes, all things work together for good, which isn't even saying all things are good. We know 100% all things are not good. But they work together for good to those who love God. All things. We don't deserve that. We deserve something else than everything working out together for our good. And I even think of the mercy that's described in Romans 8, right there at the end of the chapter. Where Paul writes in Romans that nothing could separate us from God's love, which is not what we deserve. What we deserve, what we earned, is actually separation from God. But the mercy of God closes that gap, closes that separation. And now Paul just wants to make sure like he has a whole list of not this, not this, not that, not that. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. This is God's mercy. Without the mercy of God, we stand in opposition to him. But what do we do in view of God's mercy? And I'm not just even talking about theoretical mercy. So again, you may be new to the Bible. You may read a passage like this and go, well, that, I mean, that's written a couple thousand years ago. But is mercy that relevant in my life? Is God's mercy, I mean, I understand how someone talked about it back then, but is God's mercy so relevant and applicable? But I would say a hundred times, yes, we're not just talking about theoretical mercy applied to someone somewhere at some point in time who happened to be religious. We're thinking of the mercies of God. Some of you came to Jesus. You're the first generation, the first member of your family Like maybe you have a list of people that most certainly had no time for Jesus. Maybe you're part of a family that like, it's almost a train wreck that got you where you are. I mean, it's just a mess of a family tree. But then God intervened in your life. And that's the mercy of God. Some of you, your story may look different. I mean, maybe maybe actually your own life was such a mess. and, And then one day you you knew things weren't neat and you knew things weren't clean and you knew if God accepted only the good people, you need not apply. But then you found out he is merciful. He shows mercy to people who have made a mess of things. Some of you, some of you your path to Jesus was just very complicated. Like it's hard to even trace it. The influence is like nobody could make it up. It's just how you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ you say, I'll tell you what it is. It's God's mercy on me. 
Some of you, maybe it's a very different kind of story. Maybe some of you have been a Christian for as long as you remember. And you see the mercy of God and that what he spared you from, where your life could have been without him. Maybe that's the mercy you see. And maybe, yeah, it's just like you always have believed and maybe a skeptic would look and go, you, how do you really know? And maybe a cynic would go, that's just the way you were raised and how do you really know? But you know something different. You've experienced the mercy of God and you know, yeah, maybe how I was raised, Ned, but I, I've heard God speak. I know God is real. Maybe it's something that you find even hard to put into words, but you know his presence is very real. So those mercies of God, again, the ones in Romans and the ones you can think of that are part of your story, all merge together. And the idea in Romans 12 is that should produce, that should drive some actions, that should drive some attitudes in view of God's mercies. What makes the most sense? That's, that's kind of where I want us to land today. In view of God's mercy to you, to the world, what makes the most sense? How should we live? So look at verse 1. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Here's what should be in light of that. Kind of that, therefore, here's the, re the reason is you've been shown much mercy. Now, here's what should flow out of that. You should present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So interesting, present your bodies, which tells us it's not just God interested in a soul or spirit, but actually our flesh, our flesh, which at times feels very, Weak doesn't feel strong all the time. Our flesh, which our bodies, which can get sick, which can produce all sorts of things, all the, the body chemistry, brain chemistry. Present your bodies as a sacrifice. And generally in the Bible, well, generally anywhere, a sacrifice. The kind of sacrifice here was never living, is dead. It was burnt on the altar. Didn't come out alive, but notice how different it is here. This is a sacrifice that instead of, you dying, you actually come to life, a living sacrifice, even, and he was like, new life, alive with new life, and, and holy and acceptable to God, set apart, that's holiness and acceptable to God, think about it, this body that I have, this body that you have, it is possible in this body, which presents so many limitations to me, in many ways spiritually, in this body, I can be pleasing to the Lord as I yield to him. This is an act of worship. This is your spiritual worship. So very, very simply here, right? In view of God's mercies, what do we do? We offer our bodies. Spiritual worship, nothing is going to make us come alive more than living in worship. What you don't hear, what you don't hear is in light of all I've done for you, I've done so much for you, now you better get to work. That's actually not the way this is worded. That's not even the intent of the passage. In view of the mercies of God, present your bodies, offer your bodies to the Lord. And here's the good news. Here's why this is even part of the mercies of God. Because when you give everything, when you give everything to him, you gain everything. When you offer your bodies, giving him everything, you gain everything. This is why the Old Testament started. Jesus quoted, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind. This is why when the first followers of Jesus, so again, Jesus in Palestine 2,000 years ago starts calling people to follow him. He tells them, you're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to take up your cross, which we see cross and think what a, 
what a beautiful religious symbol. What everybody in Rome would have thought is like, that's a, that's a symbol of execution, of torture. Take up your cross and follow me. Deny everything. Jesus would say, if, if you like, you put your hand to the plow and you turn back, you're not ready to follow me. You're not, you're not, you're not worthy of the kingdom if you're constantly thinking you can go halfway in this. These are strong words. Again, I said at the beginning, these are words that I'm not overstating it when these words changed my life. Changed my life actually decades ago. So can I, can I just share even some of the influence they've had on me? So some background here. When I was, um, I'm guessing 10, 11, maybe 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, I learned these verses. Had to memorize them. I don't know if it was for kids' church or if it was Sunday school or something like that. And these verses went to work on me. And I remember, I can still remember as a 12-year-old. I was at a Christian camp and it wasn't this passage, although this passage was just like really pressing in on me. No, the passage was actually one very similar to it in 1 Corinthians 6 where it says, you are not your own. Your body is not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body, which is God's already. So, the pastor that night, the, the camp pastor that was preaching was pretty aggressive, as you can imagine. I think he was aggressive because he knew there were preteens and teenagers that were thinking about, like, everything else they probably didn't need to be thinking about. And so it was strong. Like, it was 100% full strength. And that message was so loud and clear. And I, I don't even remember all his words. What I do remember is that that message stuck. The Spirit of God, I have no other way to explain it, but the Spirit of God landed at that. I'm not sure anybody else in the room needed that message, but I heard it so loud and clear. And I could chalk it up to being emotional, like most camp experiences. If you've ever gone to Christian camp, Friday night, like everybody's emotional. I could chalk it up to that. But I'm thinking about it decades later. And I remember that night, I, I think I filled out a card that said, I am dedicating my life to whatever the Lord wants, whether it's like serving him full time. I just knew at that moment, it's kind of like no turning back. And I know I was young and I know like, did I know everything? Of course I didn't know everything. But I knew in those moments, I mean, I, I will tell you to this day, the response of my heart was like Samuel saying, speak Lord, your servant is listening. It was like Isaiah where he said, here am I, send me. Or something powerful in that moment. David Platt calls it, I mean, many years later, David Platt would call it writing, like giving God a blank check with your life. For those of you who don't write checks, which is probably many of you these days, the concept is, like, you tell me, God, whatever you want. My life is yours. You write in whatever number. The number is 100% of my life is yours. I will not hold it back. It is all yours. This is how, like, this is the call of surrender that I felt like I had to take that night. What I've found since, 
what I've discovered decades later is it's not just about that one night. I mean, that one night was powerful. And maybe you've been to camps and conferences and retreats. Maybe there's been that one thing that like really your faith like really, really took off. And those things are so helpful. What I know now, at least 45 years into my life is that this is gonna be a daily, a weekly kind of activity of, am I going to offer my body, offer everything I've got? It's not enough of what I did as a preteen, what I did as a teenager. Like the call is today, and I'm guessing when I'm 75, if the Lord gives me those, that number of days, I'm guessing I will still have to wrestle with, am I going to offer my body, am I going to offer my life to the Lord? Is it his? So whether you're in middle school or high school, something like you're going to have to wrestle with this pretty significantly. Is your future your own or does God have a right to it? Or whether you're hitting retirement, is your retirement your own or does God have a right to it? Or maybe you're a different stage of life. Maybe you're single. Maybe you're single again and you're having to answer that question, is my life my own? You don't have to have my story. You won't have my story. I don't have your story. But is God pressing on you? I just want to encourage you. You have so much to gain, even if it feels like it's going to cost you everything. You have so much to gain. Will you trust that? The passage continues. So verse 2 builds on that. Verse 2 says, yeah, and don't be conformed to this world. So we just kind of stop there. Don't be conformed to this world. A paraphrase of this is like, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. I think that's a helpful illustration of it. Another paraphrase I read like, said, don't let this world stamp, like don't, don't be stamped by the views and values of this passing age. I mean, those, are, those analogies are helpful for me. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. And don't, don't let yourself be stamped by the views and values of this age, which is passing, it's not eternal. But, be transformed. There's something new for you if you're in Jesus Christ, if you've experienced those mercies of God. Something new, you can actually break from the world. God, is, God will remold your mind, will transform your mind, not just clean up the outside thing so everybody thinks you're a better person. Like, it's not about that. It's about changing your thinking, changing who you are on the inside. Open your hearts to this like, new outlook on life, a whole reorientation of your thinking and your affections and what I, what I realize is, yeah, that tra- being transformed, some of that happens like pretty quickly, but a lot of it takes a long, long time. I'm still in that, like God transforming my mind, renewing my mind. I'm still working through all those things. God is still reorienting, rewiring who I am. It's a process. But in view of God's mercies, this isn't about paying him back. This isn't about like he did so much for you and like you better get, the amount of stuff you've done for him. That's not the, not the way this is even worded. You can look at maybe in the afternoon, maybe, maybe this evening, maybe tomorrow morning as you read God's word. You actually look at the end of the chapter, verses 9 to 21, which will walk you through all sorts of ways in which you can stop being conformed to the world and start being transformed. I love how it spells it all out there. We don't have time to dig into that. But again, I want to press here on the views and values that this passing world are going to have. We're just going to take for granted. 
will almost become normalized. That's not because we live in 2022. That's because we live, we live in a planet that's affected by sin. If we'd gone back to 1952, there would be views and values of this world that would run counter purposes to God's best for your life. Can you discern those? Can you discern the ambitions that are more stamped by the world than stamped by God? The hopes, the dreams, the desires, the choices, the attitudes we have, the times when we feel like we have got to just fit in and make whatever compromise we've got to just fit in because we're so shaped by, we're squeezed into the mold of this world. Maybe it's why even this week you've cheated, you've lied. Maybe it's why this week you've felt pretty justified because the world often seems to be pretty proud of themselves. So you can be proud of yourself. Maybe you look down on others. You see, you have to be intentional here. I don't think this happens by accident. I think we have to be so intentional. So I really don't want to go back into a world with no technology. I kind of like a lot of the new technology that we have. But technology can squeeze you into its mold. There's certainly apps on our, our phones that aren't... They're, they're not sinful in themselves, but are they squeezing you? Are they shaping your views and values? Are you intentional about it? You see, I mean, we have, this has to be intentional, not, or, or habits are just going to form. Or there are going to be patterns of my speech that are going to be so far from like God shaping my speech. Maybe I'll be cynical and critical, hurtful, harmful, vulgar. What about that? what you accept, what you decide I'm not going to do? Where you draw lines, where you see there's space, where there's gray areas. Are those more shaped by the views and values of this world? It says don't be conformed, but it says like there's, there's good news in this because when you're not conformed by the world, you actually get a better path of understanding what God's will is, which does mean when you live differently, it's actually for your good. If my life is marked out by living differently, living distinctly. God equips you with discernment. You become spiritually alive for working out his will when we live distinctively. We're pleasing to him. So I do want to ask, where are the differences, where are the distinctives that mark your lives, that mark your life as a follower of Jesus? Are there any, are there any that come to mind? Sometimes you may not see the progress like you'd like to see it in your life. You can imagine that these days have brought tons of memories flooding back. And for some of you, I've known you a long time. For some of you, I've known you since high school and college. I just want to encourage so many of you. Because actually what I've seen over and over again is you not being conformed to the world. Maybe you started there. Maybe God even brought you to Delaware. You came to Ogletown in, in a way where you were, and you looked a lot more like the world, but God slowly but surely has like shaped you. His work has been good. And I see the sacrifices you make. I see the priorities, the values you have, what's important to you, what you resist, what you make time for. And God has done this work over time. And it's amazing to watch that. So you may go, Curtis, I can't even begin to think about my life in a place of spiritual maturity like other people I see around. And I, I just think, yeah, all of us started somewhere. Whatever maturity we've attained, we've got a long way to go, all of us. And all of us started somewhere. 
I, I love, as you can see, I love this passage for what it is pointing us to. Verse 3 kind of connects some ideas. Will you look at it there? Verse 3 says, Paul speaking by the grace given to me, he would say, uh, I speak to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of the faith that God has assigned. Someone like summarized it this way. Don't cherish exaggerated ideas of your importance. This is a helpful way of saying it. Which is really hard sometimes, right? Because our world revolves around ourselves way, way too often. But here it's like, don't, don't cherish these exaggerated ideas of your own importance. But, but again, the paraphrase went like this. It said, but try to have a sane estimate of your capabilities in light of the grace that God's given according to the measure of faith that God has given to everybody. Just a sane estimate. Which doesn't mean like we feel like I'm no good, I can't help anybody, I'm worth, I mean, it's not that. That's not a, that's not a true estimate. That's not a sane estimate. So much of Romans 12, 1 and 2 shaped me. I think when I came to Ogletown, verses 3 to 8 began shaping me just as much as these first two verses. You think, I, you know, I, as a teenager, college student, I, I got that I had to offer my body as a sacrifice to the Lord. But what I loved, what I love about the rest of Romans 12 is God sets all this like, okay, you offer your body, as a living sacrifice. You offer your body, you offer your body. And then God brings those together, a group of living sacrifices, actually a family of living sacrifices, puts you in a family, puts you in a community it's a church. It's not always beautiful. It's certainly next, not spectacular. But then God works his grace out in that. It's not just about me having my own relationship with the Lord and saying, Lord, whatever you want. It's not just about my blank check with my life. It's about all of us together saying, Lord, whatever you want. And what God does in the midst of that, look at verse four here. It says, like I widen out the lens and in one body, we have many members. And the members don't all have the same function. So we, the many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And we have gifts, and we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. Let us use those gifts, right? If you, if you have the gift of prophecy, use it in proportion to our faith. If we have the gift of service, in our serving. If you're, if you're one who teaches, then in your teaching. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads, let him lead with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. In view of God's mercies, it's not, well, you better step up. You better you know, pull your weight. In view of God's mercies, though, you should use your gifts. You should use your gifts maximize them. Whatever gift God has given you, maximize that. Because when you exercise your gift, others are built up. When you exercise your gift, others are built up. This isn't about cliches. This isn't about trying to make sure everybody feels decently about themselves. This is God saying this. He arranges members in the body as he chooses. And every member matters. We're one body of Christ and there are different gifts. There's the idea of prophecy, and there's lots of differences of opinion on exactly what is prophecy, but most everybody would agree it's, it's God's word given in some sort of timely way, however you would define it. What about serving? Like, maximize that. If you show up ready to serve, maximize that for the good of the body. Maybe you're a teacher. Maybe, 
maybe you exhort, maybe you find ways to encourage people, then set your mind to it. Give it everything you've got. Maybe you have an unusual capacity, and I'm not just talking financially, but just faith-wise, you have an unusual capacity to give. Well, then find ways to do that and do that well. Maybe you have leadership, you wield authority. Well, do that responsibly and energetically, and maybe you feel sympathy, you have all these acts of kindness. I don't think the list is exhaustive. I don't think it's like, well, these seven and no more gifts, that's all we got. It's not that way. There are way too many lists like these in the Bible that include many others. So where does that go to work? I mean, I think Paul may be communicating to us, first of all, like, don't think you're the only person or gift that matters. Absolutely not. You're going to need others. But I think he also may be communicating, you think you don't have much to offer? You're part of a body that every, every cell matters. Every organ has to be functioning correctly in the body. That's, what, what a picture here. No, you don't have to do everything. But yes, I mean, you may think, well, my, my personality, my background, my marital status, my social status, like communicate, I, I just, I don't know that I have much to offer. And this passage says, no, no, there is a lot. And maybe you're in the room and you go, well, I believe in the mercy of God. I'm just not that connected to anybody in the room. I mean, you attend. Churches have always had people that attend. But do you see a different kind of vision than where are you going to occupy an hour a few times a month? Do you, do you feel the magnetic pull that there's something good for you and something good for others? What would need to change in your life to line up here so that you could use your gifts? I mean, do you need to be a part of a smaller group? I know it's a big place. Maybe you feel disconnected. Could you at least put your hand up? Could you say, like, I, 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 I would like to make connections. Could you fill out a connection card? Could you text? I mean, could you initiate something that says, I, I feel the burden of this. I know I need it. I'm convinced now by Scripture I have something that I'm supposed to give, regardless of even stage of life. What would it look like? What would it look like if someone said, I'm going to use my gift of encouragement. What if a month from now, and we don't know the scenario, but what if, what if a month from now someone is pretty blown out because life has just pounded them? If it was one thing, it'd be one thing, but it's 10 things, and they're devastated. And maybe you have a gift of encouragement. We're all supposed to encourage each other, right? So let's do that. But maybe you'll find out you actually have a gift where when you speak, someone feels very heard and validated and valued. And all of a sudden, things settle down in their life. How much better would the body be because of that? We're all supposed to give to God's work. Where our treasure is, our heart follows. And maybe God will lead you to give. And maybe you find like you have a capacity that maybe even others who are giving faithfully, but maybe you have a capacity to give even more. Like, what would that mean if someone did ministry because you, you exercised the gift of giving? What would it mean if someone led well? What would it mean if someone showed up with these acts of kindness? I think some of this, like, a lot of us could at least try, could at least lean in. I say all that, and I think, like, you were made for that. You may not even know it. Your best years of being a Christian, being a part of a church, may be ahead of you, not behind you.
Do you believe that? I hope you can see why this passage has meant so much to me. Sometimes like you need reminders. Sometimes it's like a a compass that points north. It's like a north star for you. This passage is one of those to me. Because over and over again, I come back to this and remind me. So yeah, God did not show grace or mercy to me with strings attached. But it also is not as if God says, I'm going to show you all this mercy and then I don't really care what you do with your life. That is not what he says. That is not God's disposition towards you. I'm just going to show you a lot of help here, get you out of a jam, and then you take it from there. Good luck with your life. That is not what God has in mind. God shows you mercy, and in view of God's mercy, he actually does want something from you. He wants you. He wants every bit of you. And what if you yielded your life to him? What if then the Spirit enters you, transforming you, going to work on your attitude, actions, and hearts? And what if it What if it made you more like Jesus? Would that not be better for you, better for everyone? And what if that work involved a whole family of believers so it wasn't just about you, but it widened out and you realized all along you needed your church family more than you you knew and they needed you more than they realized. I have a question that we're going to close. In view of the mercies of God, in view of God showing that kindness to us, what will your response to him be? Let's just take a moment to think about it and then I'll lead us in prayer, okay? Father, Uh, help us because we go back and forth on this. We want to offer you our bodies and then we want to take it all back and run, run the show in our lives. And there are areas where it actually, we enjoy being conformed to the world. We enjoy what the world has to offer and then we are reminded that is just such a dead end street. And there are times where we don't live in community. We play it safe and we're not vulnerable, we're not transparent, we don't dive in, maybe because we've been hurt before, maybe because we just don't make it a priority anymore. So what you can do in this moment is you can expose us for who we are and you are so kind that you will show mercy even in that exposure and you'll point us back to Christ. You'll point us back to a life that can be transformed and you will point us back to a community, a church family. And so do your good work in our lives. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.